these moments Cause I Just like this and this the little things Talk with Ben Tompkins, presented by Four Roses. What's good, everybody? How you doing? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. Hope everybody's had a good week. Uh, if you missed last week, it was a replayables episode. My friend Kristen Darst and I broke down T-Pain's Epiphany. Classic, classic album. I'ma buy you a drink. Ooh, no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, kind of, I just did it. Okay, um, but I was gone. I dropped that actually on the road, and for the last week, I just got back this week. I was in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, actually, my girlfriend and I, and her nana and her cousin, we packed up the car and drove cross country and stopped at a few places along the way. It was her birthday. She just celebrated her 23rd birthday. A hey. Jordan year, baby. So um, we went out there. She's really big into nature and hiking and actually wants to become a park ranger at one of the national parks. Um, and so we've been going and doing a lot of hikes lately. And so we go out there and got to see a couple of cool things. I, I, you know, as many places as I've traveled, I've traveled all over the world, all over the country. I've never been to Asia, um, but I've been to Europe and I've been to Mexico and I've been to parts of Canada. I've been all over the United States. The Southwest was one place that I had never been before. And I was excited because Let's be honest, like if your parents tell you that you're going to take a trip to the Grand Canyon, you're probably thinking, why can't we just go to New York or Florida or California or like, you know, I've, I've never, I had never seen the Grand Canyon and, and I did see it this past week. I had never seen the Grand Canyon, but I had always flown over it. If sometimes uh, Southwest will fly a lot to Phoenix. Um, so on trips out to California, I have flown through Phoenix on a connecting flight. And I would see the Grand Canyon from high up, which is honestly the perfect way to see it because if you are standing at the, at the, the base of the Grand Canyon, right, um, looking down at it or looking out at it, you really can't fathom like how big it is. So aerial views do it justice. Standing there didn't. Um, we hiked. We got up and hiked almost every single day. Uh, got up around 4 or 4.30 and we're on a hiking trail by about 5 a.m. Almost every day that we were there. The, uh, the Grand Canyon was the shortest hike that we did, but it was the hardest hike that we did. The longest we did, uh, we got to Red Rocks in Sedona kind of later in the week and did like a four and a half mile hike, which was pretty, pretty, you know, pretty challenging a little bit in, in some parts. Um, just simply because it was towards the end of the week and we had been hiking like all day. Uh, or, or excuse me, all week, right? Um, but when we got to the Grand Canyon, it is straight down, straight up. The incline is insane. It's hot. It's tough to breathe, and there's there's horse crap and donkey crap everywhere <laughs> that you look, and you're just going down at first. So you know you're going down this thing. You're like, oh, this is easy. I got this shit right, and you're just going down, down, down. And we got about half a mile down. And I'm so glad that we turned around because at, at first I was like, you know, um, her Nana, who is 70 something years old, is doing this hike with us. And she's like, hey, I kind of want to take it easy on Nana. It's been a long week already to this point. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's fine. 
And I was in my in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh man, we're stopping at 0.5 miles. That's kind of lame. It's kind of weak. Uh, <laughs> what a stupid thought that was. Because as soon as we turned back around and started going up <laughs> up the Grand Canyon, it was uh, a burner. It was burning my legs. It was burning my calves. It was burning my glutes. And it's so hard to breathe. You can't catch your breath. And it was just, it was tough. It was tough. So that was the shortest hike that we did, but it was the longest hike that we did. And, you know, we passed people like, and, and I guess, you know, it would have been better if we had done it earlier in the day, like if we had woken up there and did it. But because we were traveling that day and kind of got there later around like 11 or 12 that day, uh, it was just, it was just hot even by then. But we passed people who were hiking all the way down and we're going to set up like a base camp at the very bottom of the Grand Canyon and then make their ascent um, like a day or two later because to, I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure it's been done. Okay. But if you start at the top of the Grand Canyon and go all the way down, uh, I, I, I can only imagine what a time that would be to get back up in a day. I, like I said, I'm sure it's been done, but holy shit, that's got to be hard. <laughs> I, I would not want to, I would not want to try that. Okay. Um, the coolest place that we went well, for me was uh, Page, Arizona. And in Page, Arizona is a place called Horseshoe Bend, where the Colorado River kind of wraps around this, this uh, big mountainous rock thing. And I had only seen pictures of it. Again, I had never been to the Southwest. I'd only seen pictures of it or flew over the Grand Canyon, right? And I see a picture of Horseshoe Bend and thought to myself, this is on my list. This is somewhere that I have got to see. And I just, the reason that I brought up that if your parents tell you you're going to go to the Grand Canyon deal is because it's just, I don't know, the Southwest just really isn't, like I've never just wanted, in my mind when I think about going on a vacation or traveling somewhere, it's never to just go to Arizona or New Mexico, right? I, I just, I don't know, I just don't think of the Southwest that way, And um, but since I was invited onto this trip, it was like, I was really excited. I was like, yes, I'm going to get to cross this stuff off my bucket list. I'm going to get to go see Horseshoe Bend. And I'm going to go get to see the Grand Canyon. And so I did uh, look up a picture of Horseshoe Bend if you've never seen it before. It was amazing. We saw a sunset there. We, we were traveling. It was kind of a travel day. And so we reached Page, Arizona and Horseshoe Bend later on in the day and got there and watched the sunset. And in the morning, we got up and saw a sunrise there. So that was really cool. Now, the highlight of the trip also, besides all of the scenic things that we did, you know, Sedona was great, Horseshoe Bend, great, Grand Canyon, awesome, but the real MVP of this trip, I gotta give a shout out to Torchy's Tacos. I had never heard of this place, but Maddie was so excited to make us stop and eat Torchy's uh, because she kept on hyping up this queso where they put like some obviously cheese, but they put a, a, another type of cheese in there. Uh, maybe, a, I don't know, a Parmesan cheese or something like that. They put a little sprinkle of buffalo dip. There's avocado hidden in the bottom of it. And it's just honestly the finest confection that my mouth has ever tasted. It is the best queso I've ever had. And they're not even paying me to say that. I'm just talking real right now. Okay. Um, and I had a couple of their tacos, one that was really hot. And then they had a really interesting Caribbean jerk and pineapple a taco and I, I love Caribbean jerk chicken, so it was just it was amazing. Honestly, um, the best place for tacos I feel like in Kentucky are local taco in Lexington and the Kentucky Taco Company um, somewhere downtown and Louisville, right? 
and uh, Taco Luchador, I'm sorry, you suck, your ass. Um, but, but Torchy's Tacos was the best. It was the and I lived in the Bay Area for three years, right? I know some tacos. I know some pretty good tacos out there living in California. But I'm telling you what, um, Torchy's was amazing. It was amazing. So if you get the chance, you got to go. Okay, we stopped at one in Oklahoma City, and then we also had um, later on in the week on our way leaving uh, our, our trip from Sedona. Got it again because uh, it was just like I, I don't know the next time I'm going to be back here and be able to do this. So I'm going to cop some more torches tacos. Not mad at that decision either. Not mad. We also got to see Cadillac Ranch out in Amarillo, Texas. We were just driving through Texas, and if you've, you've never been through West Texas, um, it is just barren, man. There is nothing there. Um, I think that Odessa is, I can't remember where Odessa is, but like if you remember the scenes that they show of Odessa, Texas in Friday Night Lights, like it is that, dude. There's like nothing around. Amarillo is the only kind of, uh, I wouldn't even call it a city, I guess. I I, I guess it's a city. Yeah, it's a city. Uh, That was dumb. (laughs) But, you know, like in terms of like having infrastructure and buildings and stuff like that. Now, this is just like a town almost, okay? In my mind, town. So we're driving along Route 66. You pass Amarillo, Texas, and they have something that's kind of cool called Cadillac Ranch, which is somebody took a bunch of Cadillacs and stuck them all in the ground, like nine, ten of them, I don't know, and they're in this big long line, and you can go there and spray paint, and I spray painted uh, you know, something on one of the cars and got a couple pictures up there, um, but that was cool. And then, other than uh, <laughs> one, one more thing, one more thing, okay. Highlight, not highlight of the trip. Um, the trip started out, I thought we were going to be cursed. Basically, I, 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 we were in somewhere in Arizona. We stop at this gas station, and Maddie, who was driving, pulls the car up. She had been pumping gas. Me and her cousin Sarah had gone in to use the restroom at this at this gas station, right? We come out, uh, Maddie pulls the car up. She's going to go use the gas station. And so I am now sitting in the passenger seat of the car. I get out and I walk around and I go to start the car so that we can start to get uh, cold air running, right? It's hot, man. It's, it's so hot. Even for five seconds, the heat is just unbearable inside of a car like that. So uh, I start, I, I go to, I'm going to start the air conditioning. And Maddie, you know, she's 5'2". She sits very close up to the steering wheel. And so when I go to sit down in the car, I can't, I can't fit. Like, I can't fit my thigh um, underneath the steering wheel where I'm trying to sit, right? And so I'm kind of like awkwardly shimmying in, just trying to... All I need to do is reach the gas pedal. So I'm not even like fully sitting down. It's a, it's a weird position. And as soon as I'm doing this and I open up the car door, there you know, I'm approached by an, an, an older um, Indian, you know, Indian American, and him and his wife, I guess his wife, I don't know, ba- I, I don't know, uh, they're standing out there like selling things. Like she has a bag, she's selling necklaces, right? And trying to solicit anybody that walks, you know, near them. And he's just asking for money. He's just like, and I don't know that, I don't, I don't know what he's asking for. He's just walking up to the car 
and he says something I can't really hear it and I, and I and I'm just trying to like get into the car and I, I'm like hold on just, just hold, hold on one second man and so I get the car started I get out and he says can you uh like I, I guess he asked me for money like he asked me for change and I, I just I was like I'm sorry man I can't help you you know I look and I'll, I'll give people food uh when I'm driving and if I stop and there's somebody that's on the corner uh you know I will give them the Cliff Bar or the mixed nuts that I keep in my car if I haven't already eaten it. But I, I don't, I just don't give people money. And I say, no, man, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And as soon as I'm saying that, I just bought this water bottle inside, um, and I drop the quarter that's in my hand, like I have stuff in my hands. I drop the quarter on the ground, and he goes, "You lied! You lied to me! You said you didn't have any money!" And I was like, "Well, that's not what I said. I said I couldn't help you." And the guy goes, you're cursed. I curse you. And I go, fuck you. Don't put a curse on me. And the guy goes, no, you're cursed. You lied. And I was like, fuck you, man. And I get back in the car and I was sitting there like, fuck that guy. Get cursing me. We're not giving him a quarter. Give me a break. And her cousin's like, oh my gosh, what was that guy saying? And the guy comes up. We're sitting there because we're still waiting on Maddie to come out of the bathroom and come out of the gas station. So now we got to sit there. And this guy like is literally leaning up against the propane tanks that are parked, you know, we're parked right in front of these things. So this guy, I could just see him flapping his jaws. He's moving his mouth. He walks up to the car. He knocks on the hood. He flicks me off. <laughs> and, and I'm just laughing at him because I'm like, what, dude, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, fuck you, man. And, and this is how, this is how our trip starts out. You know, because at this point we were on our way out there, and then we had stopped in Arizona, and it was just it was just crazy. And Maddie gets out, you know, she's walking, she has no idea, and you know, Sarah and and Nana and are in the back, and I'm just like, all right, come on, honey, let's go, let's go, get in the car, like let's drive away from this crazy guy, and who's still like saying stuff and was saying stuff as Maddie passed her, and she's like, what the hell? And I'm like, come on, let's just go, let's just go. So. Uh, but luckily for us, okay, and luckily for myself, knock on wood, uh, nothing bad happened while I was out there, and you know, nothing bad has happened to this point. So I, I don't know, uh, I, you know, maybe his curse is not really working. Uh, I hope not, but uh, we're gonna keep our fingers crossed and monitor that one. But overall, great trip. Um, definitely got to check a couple things off the bucket list, and now uh, I got back on Monday. And it's just been hard. You know, anytime you travel from time zone to time zone like that, it's tough. And getting back out here and getting back on, on to a schedule um, has been a little challenging, but I've been a little tired this week, but uh, overall pretty good. Now, I have, this one is full of Uber stories, okay? This is full of Uber stories. So uh, I broke these up into categories. And so we're going to start out with two Uber stories that are very positive, empowering, motivational, okay? And then I have three that are just, they're just real as fuck. Like two of them are about addiction and hitting rock bottom. And then the other one was a woman that I spoke with who overcame homelessness. So that was really interesting. Uh, and then three in the back end that are comedic, funny, ironic. Like we'll get to those, okay? Funny story about a blind guy, uh, the maddest writer I've ever dealt with. And then an older gentleman who was very proud of some decisions he had made. Um, so we'll get to all of that. But first, uh, before we jump in, I got to give a shout out to the plug Four Roses Bourbon. 
You know, they say that winning deserves a worthy reward, and you should celebrate life's wins with Four Roses family of award-winning bourbons. Sit back, relax, take a sip, and savor the victory. Learn more at fourrosesbourbon.com. Be mellow. Be responsible, my friends. Also, I got to give a shout out to my buddy Ryan Jones. His company, Roots and Jones, are about empowering storytellers, and they make these exquisite handmade pens. I got one recently. Uh, The company is Roots and Jones, and check them out on Facebook. They're doing value pricing right now, so typically their pens run anywhere from $50 to $100, and uh, his grandfather and him make these pens together, which is certainly a story that resonates with me being as close as I am with my grandpa. And they do something called value pricing, especially right now with COVID and times are tough. And so if you go to their website, rootsandjones.com, and you find a pen that you like, basically tell them what you think it's worth or what you can pay, and they'll match it. And, and they'll, you know, you'll get a pen. So check them out, rootsandjones.com. Uh, awesome company, awesome message, awesome story. Okay, now let's get into some Uber stories, okay? This first ride was by far my favorite ride, okay? So that's where we're going to start because I want to set the tone with some big positive energy vibes today, okay? This is entirely why I enjoy doing this so much, rides like these, interactions like these, Uh, because so much of the energy that gives me life and that I get a lot of happiness and fulfillment from is gassing other people up and making people feel confident and having that feeling like, yeah, I, I, I do got this shit. Like, yeah, I can do this shit, right? So that's where we start today uh, with a writer named Asia, okay? I picked this chick named Asia up and she was with a dude and they had multiple stops. So I start the trip, we dropped him off first and then uh, she stayed in the car. I was taking her home um, when they got out when he when it was his turn to get out, they you know big long hug. He was sad. It was like a three or four minute goodbye. But look, I'm chilling, man. I got nowhere else to be, right? I'm getting paid. I'm chilling. I'm cooling. So they're outside. They're hugging it out. He is full on sad boy. And then she gets back in the car. We've got about a twenty minute ride. So we start chit chatting, and I asked her where she's headed, and she tells me that she lives in the DMV because she had got in with some luggage, right? And she tells me she's living in the DMV, which for those of you that don't know, is the abbreviation for the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area, okay? They call it the DMV. Now you know. She had been there for about six months before COVID hit. So had just made this very big move, big life transition, gets there about six months in, COVID hits, she comes back home, okay? Her parents had asked her to come back home, so she obliged. Um, and I could, as we're talking, I could really sense this feeling of hesitation, like nervousness so thick that you could just cut right through it. Okay. She was scared. She was scared about going back. And that's when things got really deep. We talked about how different it can be moving away from home where you don't know anybody at all. Like I told her about, um, kind of my story a little bit, moving out to the Bay area and some of the challenges that I faced there. And she asked me, if my family had supported me when I moved out there. And I said, yeah. And she said, that's really nice to have. And, and the way that she answered that made me think maybe she doesn't have that. So I asked, do your parents support you? And she said, no. They fight me every time I go back. She said her flight was supposed to leave that day, but her parents fought with her and made her move it to the next day. And she was like, I hope I actually get on it. I'm leaving tomorrow. I hope I actually get on. 
and I said, you got to go, okay? You got to go. All this stuff, Louisville, it's all going to be here when you get back. And I asked her, are your parents sad? Like, why did they tell you not to go? You know, why are they trying to keep you here? Um, I thought maybe they're just sad. And she said, even if they were sad, it's not even that. They just want to control me. So every decision or move that I make on my own is completely wrong to them. And she said, it's just the culture. They're old school. Um, They always make little comments that let her know that they weren't okay with what she's doing and wanted her to be home. And and when you live with that and you constantly have somebody undercutting you, it it can be really difficult because gout starts to creep in and, and things like that. And so I'm hearing her tell me this, and I feel like this is my moment. Like, this is my calling. This is, I, I'm the, one of the very last people that she's going to talk to in Louisville before she gets on this plane tomorrow morning to go back home, to, to her new home, to her new life. And I, I was like, I, this is, I got to step up. I, I got to step up. Because if she's not going to get this from her parents and from anybody else that she might see, I, she's going to get it from me, okay? She's going to get that real talk. So I told her, listen, the older that I get, the more I realize and the easier it gets for me to spot the people that are really down for me. And what I've learned is that sometimes, even family, even family, you got to cut people off that aren't good for you. You got to let go of people holding you back. And it's hard. It's really hard to tell your favorite cousin or your mom or your friend like that you've known forever, like whoever it is that you're toxic. And it doesn't matter who that person is. Sometimes if you really want to grow, you got to cut ties. Do you? And, you know, we're, I'm, I'm telling her this and I'm laughing. And uh, it's like I said, you know, it can be hard, too, because, you know, you start to question, like, am I the asshole here? Like, am I the asshole? And people guilt you and, you know, say, how could you say that about that person? Or how could you say this about so-and-so? But you know, we kind of laughed about that. And I just told her, listen, you just can't worry about that. You know, this is your life and you got to own it. Don't second guess yourself. Just do you. I know it's tough when you're not getting that support from your family, right? That's kind of supposed to be your comforting nest egg and everything like that. But don't second guess yourself. Like you're doing it regardless of what people say or anything like that. Or like you are in the DMV, you're doing it. You're going to get on this plane tomorrow. And you're going to go back to this life that you've built for yourself and that you're building for yourself and everything is going to be fine. And you might not be there forever, but wherever you go, you'll have created that blueprint for yourself. I talk about this blueprint all the time, okay? Um, When you go to a new city or you go to college for the first time or you move to live with a relative or like whatever, right? You have to start to do things on your own, like finding a gym and finding a haircut place finding a grocery store, finding your people, right? Your vibe attracts your tribe. So finding your people, that's the blueprint, my friends. That is the key to moving, moving out on your own, expanding, getting out of your comfort zone. I promise if you do that and you know that that's what you need to focus on in the very most immediate stages of a new move or a new challenge, then you'll be fine. And, and once you do it once, then that's the blueprint. And so anytime you move again, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you'll know, okay, this is what I need to do. I just got here. I need to find this, this, and this, and this. And you're good. You're good. And she says, you know what? 
Like, I think that's my problem. I actually need to do that. Like, I, and she starts going into the story that she tells me that her parents had moved to North Carolina last year. And she says that she moved to the DMV, but still has ties to Louisville. Obviously, she's, she's there. I, I don't know if that was her boyfriend or um, just like somebody that, obviously, it was somebody that she loves a lot. I, you know, but uh, I, I, she's like, I've got these ties to Louisville. And so I'm literally hopping back and forth from place to place to place. And I don't have anywhere to be like, my gym is here or my favorite coffee place is here or like, this is my restaurant. I've just been allowing myself to kind of flail around. And I told her, listen, you got to plant some roots. You got to plant some roots because if you don't plant some roots, you'll never grow where you're at, right? There's a, there's a saying that's called grow where you're planted. And so even if you transplant somewhere else, you've got to plant some roots to be able to grow where you planted yourself, okay? And so, like, I asked her, where do you get your hair done? And she said, uh, you know, I, I've got a place, which was a good start, but she said because she had only been in the DMV area for like six months before coming home from COVID, a bunch of those little things just hadn't been done yet. And she said her parents were, were really, it was tough leaving, you know, she was really sitting in the back with a bunch of just kind of just a lot of stuff weighing heavy on her because she's like, you know, my parents are using this as an opportunity right now as their way of saying, we told you so. Like, you shouldn't have gone in the first place. And they're really trying to discourage her from going back to the DMV because she had been in, you know, she had been kind of, like she said, bouncing around from place to place to place right now during COVID and during the shutdowns and everything. And I said, listen, just, just push. Just keep pushing forward. This is your line in the sand moment. You're going to look back at this and, and this is going to define you. Um, or at least this is going to define where your future from this point on goes. And if I were you, double down. Just keep pushing forward. Just keep moving forward. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I'm a couple minutes into this beat right here. And I, I know I'm just preaching. And I'm just, you know, the whole time we're having this conversation, we're just flowing. And, and there's some back and forth. And, but she's just in the back like, yes, yes, exactly. Like we are just connected. And she's going back and forth with me. She's saying, she says, it's crazy. I just feel like all day, God has made me keep running into people who just telling me exactly what I need to hear. And to me, that is the greatest confirmation of, of, of anything that I can possibly be doing right now. So I'm like, I'm hype. I'm like, let's fucking go. Like I am, I told her I'm radiating positive vibes to you right now. And she says, thank you. I, I, I want to receive them. Like I am receiving them. And we just kind of were laughing. And I said, Hey, this is, you know, this is whether you believe, like whatever you believe, right? If it's God, if it's the universe, if it's karma, like whatever you believe, fine. I'm more of a spiritual person. Um, but conversations like this for the both of us are just confirmation that you're on the right path and that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Take that and run with it. And, and this right here, like this feeling, empowering others, gassing people up, like making people feel, if I can reach one person that feels like empowered or walking out from a conversation with me with a little bit more swagger and a little bit of like that chip on your shoulder, like, yeah, I, got, I fucking got this shit. Like, 
that is what I live for. That's what I feed off of. And I know, like, I, I, <laughs> listen, I can be an asshole sometimes, uh, but I'm a Gemini. Like, what can I say, right? Like, if you catch my good side, not everybody does. But if you're on my good side, um, you know, you're, you're good for life. Like, I got you. I'm here to gas you up, and you're my people. And um, for my friends like that that are probably shaking their head right now, like, yeah, I've got those text messages, or he's left me voicemail. People think it's so weird. You know, I'm 28 years old. And people think it's so weird that I still leave people voicemails sometimes, like people like under the age of 30, right? They're just kind of like, why would you leave a voicemail if you can just text me, right? But on happy birthday or whatever, like I'll, I'll, I'll leave a voicemail or something like that, or I'll, I'll take a little snap video and send it to somebody. And those people are shaking their head right now, like going like, yep, I've got that. I, I know exactly what this motherfucker's talking about. And, you know, it maybe, maybe if, you, if you've never seen that side of me and you just think, kind of an asshole. You know, uh, I wonder why that is. Uh, you know, I wonder why that is. Okay, uh, but for Asia, that was like exactly what she needed. She's on her way to the airport. She's not feeling the love and support from her parents. Her dude is like moping and guilting about her leaving. And I'm like, I'm like, sis, you got this shit. Like that is what this is all about. And when I got out and I got her luggage out of the back trunk, um, she gave me a hug and she went on her way and. That's how we open up Uber Stories Part 3 with some big dick positive energy vibes, baby. Okay, and, and that goes for anybody. Like, you might feel like you're somewhere between I want it and I got it, but that is exactly where you're supposed to be, you know? Don't worry about what other people are telling you that you should do with your life. Like, for her, it's her parents. Uh, listen, fuck them. It's your life. You only get the one, right? YOLO, bitch, right? Like, so you can't afford to half-ass the moves that you make. You got to be all in or you're all out. What's the point in living in a new city or starting a new career path if you're just going to be questioning everything in your own head and every step of the way? Like, or, 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 or worse, letting other voices speak louder than your own, okay? People that have no skin in the game, people that are just losers from... Uh, your town or your city or high school or your yoga class or like whatever, whatever, right? I mean, there's always people that are going to nitpick and critique and like, screw that, okay? Uh, always people trying to tell you, you should do this or, or you should do that, um, giving you advice on things that they've never done because they've never left their hometown or they've never um, left companies after 30 years or like, eh, eh, you know, whatever. But how would they know, right? Like, like, I'm going to be more uh, inclined to listen to somebody that maybe has actually done what I'm doing rather than let somebody else's negative opinion or attempt to dissuade me from doing something or making a move um, actually follow through with it because like, how are they qualified to speak on it, right? There's this quote from Steve Jobs that I absolutely love and I have it written down in this little running list I keep in my iPhone. Uh, called Quotes and Notes. I've been adding to it for like seven or eight years now um, at this point. But Steve Jobs said, don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. I think about that all the time. And I hope that you will too. And I hope that you will too. Now, the next writer story that I have uh, kind of in the same breath, okay, very similar circumstances. Um, this woman's name was Kenny. Uh, Kenny was a young girl, uh, except Kenny doesn't live in the DMV. Kenny lives in Brooklyn, 
where she says she pays $900 for a room because we were talking about, yeah, I, I you know, I, I paid $19.95 for a 550 square foot apartment out in the Bay Area, no utilities included. She's like, yeah, I'm paying $900 for a room. Okay. Kenny is a student at the Fashion Institute of Technology up there. And so I said, where does, I asked her, where does your love of fashion come from? Like, where does your passion for fashion come from, right? Bars. Um, and she said, it comes from wanting to stand out, to be seen, to be heard, to be different. And so she went to New York and she's living in Brooklyn and, and really kind of grinding it out because she wanted to go somewhere that those kind of things, being different and, and standing out, are celebrated. So she went to New York. And even though Louisville as a city has come a long way, the, the, the state of Kentucky and diversity and standing out and that being celebrated, uh, there are certainly other parts of this country that are a bit more enlightened and, and a bit more willing to wrap their arms around that, okay? And so she's like, deuces, I'm out. Um, and she's, she, was, she was telling me, though, that she's currently taking a break from school because it just got to be too much and she, she needed some time, okay? And she was kind of, you know, she, again, that I could just sense that hesitation, like she's talking to me and I can kind of hear this, this kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, a timidness, maybe that's the wrong word for it, but there's something in her voice that I can tell that she's kind of like questioning um, because she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm on a break. And, and so I just told her, listen, 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 take your time, okay? There's no rush. You're in a dope-ass place. It sounded like, you know, from what she was telling me, um, the people that she went to school with and her friends in the, in the industry that she was meeting and, and contacts and things like that, I told her, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it, you know? These are your experiences to have. You never know what's going to happen. Things change so quickly. You know, you, you move somewhere new and you think that you have all this time to do stuff there and then you know, the next thing you know, you're moving out and you're looking at like the beach chairs that you never sat in or the skis that you, you were swear you were going to learn how to use and you never did, right? That happens all the time. That's a very common story. Five years from now, this is, this is for anybody, okay? Five years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, damn, what was I in such a rush for? Like, I wish I could go back because that's totally, you know, my, my experience Thinking back on my last five years, I'm like, why was I in such a rush to like, you know, break into this or do this or do this? And, and it's just like, these are your 20s, man. This is what it's all about is just exploration. And I'm telling her all this and she gives this great line, okay? <laughs> savage. This is savage, okay? But I said, you know, boomers, boomers just want to tell people to rush through school, get into a job, any job, as long as it's a job. Uh, so everybody else can start hating life as fast as they did. Look at all these things I've collected, right? Where's the fun in that? Verbatim. And she says back, savage. She said, yeah, what you really got? Alzheimer's? <laughs> Fucking roasted. Oh, we laughed. We just laughed and laughed. Uh, but, you know, I, I think... This is like something that a lot of people deal with is that students, as students, were conditioned to live this life that's been instructed to us by our grandparents or our parents, uncles, aunts, 
like whoever, whoever, where you grow up, you get good grades, and then you go to college, and then you get a job, and you get married, and you have kids, and you save your money, and you retire. But that's that's not how it has to be for everybody. Not everybody's fit to be a parent. Not everybody's fit to have children. Um, people want to do different things. Like the, the thought of getting to one company and retiring, you know, and getting like the gold pen or whatever the hell they give. Uh, you know, people that retire from companies after 40 years of the company. Like, that just sounds boring to me. That sounds so boring, right? And there's never any, they, those people would tell you that, you know, just shoot for consistency, baby. Just a flat line, you know, not too high, not too low. And I'm like, where's the fun in that? Like, you, you know, if you have to go way up and way down and way, and, and it just, because there's no excitement, and at least that's 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 what I think. You might think differently, and that's fine. Uh, but but man, where's the fun in just a flat line? Because you know what a flat line is? It's a lack of a heartbeat, which means you're dead, my friends. So wake up, okay? Um, but I think as students, like we're we're told this, right? Um, but that's not how it has to be. Like take your time, you know, college student in between semesters, and hey, young professional, it's okay to be between jobs, especially right now. Like I talked to people that have been laid off, that have been furloughed, that had things that fell through that they thought were sure things. And now they're kind of like, now what do I do? I'm, you know, I'm fucked, right? Listen, you're not alone. There's a ton of people in that boat. Don't be embarrassed by it. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. You know, people always used to tell me that uh, gaps in your resume or like a killer, right? You would walk into an interview and somebody would see a gap in your resume and, and that would be like a death sentence. No, it's not. If you can talk about what you did in between that time and come up with you know, your narrative and sell your story and why that time off was beneficial to you, what you learned through that, maybe you moved back home to take care of a sick relative, maybe you took your savings and you went off on a trip and you really needed to find yourself because you'd been in school for 25 years, like whatever, just Listen, again, do you, it's your life, take that time because, you know, like I said, what, like, what's the rush? Like the last thing, the last thing, the very last thing you want to do is wake up one day and wonder where it all went. So take your time and enjoy the ride, my friends. Okay, now, the next three stories are, are pretty raw. Like they're pretty real as fuck. The first one it's kind of funny because I've got a clip to play for you, okay? Um, but these were like, this is real talk, man. This is what we do. Like, I don't shy away from um, uncomfortable conversations or asking questions that people might say that's not polite to ask. But I think that, that listen, there's a way. There's a way to do it, okay? There's a way to do it, okay? And uh, <laughs> I, I, that's what these next three were. Were just conversation got on to some very real topics and um that's what i'm gonna go with right now so uh the first one his name was michael and michael works at a restaurant in the area and i pick him up from work and we were just talking about covid and working during that did your restaurant shut down and michael tells me i was supposed to have a court date to get my license reinstated but it got postponed three months. So I've been taking Ubers and Lyfts and it's costing me a lot of money. And I said, well, why was your license suspended? And he says, well, it was actually already suspended, 
and then I got caught. I was habitual. I, he said, I was a habitual traffic violator, had a couple DUIs, um, wasn't supposed to be driving, but I was. So then my license gets suspended for 10 years, and then I got caught driving again. So that was a felony charge. And now I got to go back in front of the judge and get special driving privileges to go to the work and grocery store and stuff like that. And I asked him, well, how many DUIs have you had? Three. How expensive is that every time? Like, that's got to be a lot of money, right? He says, well, it depends on the lawyer you want to get. I mean, my last lawyer was a couple grand every time. Plus, you got to pay court fees. They make you go to classes, go to AA, which honestly just makes me want to drink more. Uh, He told me that he used to go straight to the liquor store after the meetings. And line of the podcast, after telling me all this, I'm not an alcoholic. I just like to have fun every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe maybe we need to look in the mirror a little bit and have some, you know, personal self real talk, okay? Um, but as he's telling me all this, I said, you know, have you ever seen the videos of Lawnmower Steve on YouTube? And he says, No, I don't think I've seen them. And I said, Listen, go home and watch them, okay? Because they're funny. But this reminds me of your situation, right? Where you just Three DUIs, man. That's that's kind of a lot, right? But you need to go and watch this lawnmower Steve guy. Um, and I was telling him, you know, that's this guy. He gets these DUIs on on like a scissor lift. There's one where he's on a scissor lift, and he's and there's other ones where he's on a uh, just a rider, you know, lawnmower. And uh, we're just kind of laughing about it. And I've got uh, that clip that I'm gonna play right here because if you've never heard these, if you've never seen these, they're kind of older. Um, but I I had a he was uh, Mr. Monk. He was, God, I think maybe eighth grade. Was he eighth grade or was he my sophomore, like civil uh, liberties teacher, like some kind of a social studies? It might have been in my sophomore year or something. Uh, I think it was. Um, but, but we were talking about like the rights that citizens have. And this guy, Lawnmower Steve, is famous because he's made these videos and now apparently. He's got a Facebook page with almost a million followers and a YouTube channel with like 550,000 subscribers. Like crazy, right? Host a podcast. Like good, good for fucking Llama or Steve glowing up, right? Um, but he, he's famous because he's like, no, man, I ain't going to jail. I know my rights. I know my rights. I know my rights. And so we're just laughing at this guy. And I'm going to go ahead and play that now because, again, it's a gem if you've never heard this. This is Lawnmower Steve. 4800 dispatch, be out with a white male, uh, old Munson Road, uh, riding a lawnmower, looks like appears to be signal 98. Pull it over, Steve. Stop the lawnmower. Second step one. Out of town and over the hill. Hey! Hey, man, turn the lawnmower off! Steve, how many times I got to tell you you can't be driving down the, the, the road drinking on a lawnmower? I'm just going down to the oyster shack, man. Come on. Well, de- don't put your cigarette out, man. 39. Put your cigarette out. Step off. God dang it, man. 
Pour your whiskey out. I just got this. Pour it out. 95.49. I'm just going down to the oyster shack, man. Pour it out now. You know what, man? What? I, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I know my rights. No, I'm not going to jail today. I'm not down. Man, put, not, man, put your hands behind your back. No, no. Put your hand. Steve. No, I'm not, do I'm not hey, doing anything you, wrong. You're fixing to get lit up, Steve. No. Steve, you're fixing to get tased. I I'm serious, Steve. Steve. No. Come on, man. No. Come on, bro. No. Come on. I'm not going to. Ah! 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 Shit! God damn it! Oh, oh God! Ah! Ah! Hands behind your butt. I think I crapped my pants. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. I told you, man. I didn't do it. I told you. Do it. I told you. I I'm, you, you ready to get up? You going to get up nice and slow, you hear me? God. I know my right. Come on. I told you. I know. God oh. damn it. God. God. I know my right. I know my right. I know my right. <laughs> classic so classic he's like oh man i ain't going to jail today i know my rights i know my rights so that was uh that was kind of a funnier one where, where we're kind of like you know brushing up against a very real topic um but but kind of having some fun with it but this next one also alcohol related uh a bit more serious okay um but i i shared an interesting conversation with a felon and a former fugitive her name was Alexis, and Alexis worked at a bar, and I pick her up, and we get to talking, and she says something about being sober, and I said, how long have you been sober? She said, a year. I said, congratulations, and we just started talking about sobriety, and I, I shared with her, and I'm sharing this with you all now as well. Uh, I'm a binge drinker, okay? Uh, I have been to AA before. This is, uh, I, I wasn't planning on telling this story, but since we're here, I guess I might as well. Um, what, what really, you know, I, I started drinking at a younger age and, um, when I was in San Francisco, I went up to stay there with my friends one night because I was living down in San Jose, Santa Clara at the time. I drive up, I go out with my friends. We're on this nineties bar crawl. Um, I hadn't really eaten that much that day and it was just kind of got carried away with the vibes and I, uh, it was a bench. I, I drank you know, six, seven, eight drinks, bam, 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 blackout, wake up. I'm on the floor of a drunk tank in, you know, the, the police sit precinct up in San Francisco, right? Have no idea how I got there. I'm literally laying on the ground. I'm in, you know, solitary confinement in this big glass tank. I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? And I wake up, I take a piss because <laughs> I had to go so bad. And I just start banging on the glass. I just start banging on the glass because there's nobody around me. There's nobody else in the other tanks. I, it was probably like, this is, you know, kind of sad, uh, but this was probably like 9 p.m. Like the, the people who, who stay in the drunk tanks probably weren't going to be getting there until later that night. Okay. But I was the idiot that blacked out at 2 p.m. and somehow found their way to um, the drunk tank. Okay. But I'm banging on the glass 
and somebody comes and I go, hey, I'm sober. Uh, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. So they let me out. They discharged me and I ended up getting an Uber and going back home. Well, what I found, I and, and here's the thing, I didn't even really know like what I had done to get in the drunk tank. I just, I, I was blacked out. And I read the police report that they give me. And apparently I had been standing outside and my friend said, yeah, you were outside. You were, you know, smoking with uh, somebody that was out there. And then all of a sudden, like, some dude had said something to a girl and was fighting with the girl. I swear to God. Okay. He's fighting with his girl. And I'm standing out there smoking a cigarette with somebody, a random. I'm prone to do that from time to time. Uh, disappear and then be like, where, where the oh, he's out there. Okay. And I shoved this dude, like two hands to the chest, chest pressed him. We're standing on Polk and Sutter in San Francisco, really popular bar area. Okay. And I shove this dude, falls off the sidewalk into a parking meter, and he's just on the ground clutching his ribs. Well, because this is Polk and Sutter Street, there's cops that are everywhere, right? And there's one that's standing right there. And I push this guy right down the ground, and this dude comes over, clinks me up. I go to the drunk tank, and I wake up, and I'm like, how the hell did I get here? And so I had to go in front of a judge, like I had a court date. and when I went there, the judge said, you need to, you can get this expunged off your record. You can get this, this can all be forgotten about, but you have to do uh, 10 hours of AA. You have to go to AA. And I had never been to AA before. And I, I you know, the, the thought of AA that I had was either from, you know, the movies or TV show or hearing people talk about it and never really, you know, people just saying like, it sucks, it sucks. And so I had to go and I had to listen and I did my 10 hours and that was like the last time that I've um, gone to a meeting. Uh, but I realized at that point, you know, I was like, okay, I, I need to be honest with myself. I, I'm not an everyday drinker. I'm, it, it's, you know, it's, I never just open up a beer just to have a beer. I am by definition a binge drinker. So I'll say, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm saving them up. You know, I'm not drinking during the week. I really, you know, sometimes I really, I never drink on the weekends anymore uh, because I'm just not going out lately, right? I mean, not going to the bars or whatever. Um, but even then, like, I've stopped going to the bars here in Louisville on the weekends, really, even when they are open because they're just, you know, they're just kind of like whatever. Um, but when we go out to Vegas or when I go see friends in Nashville or, or go out to the Bay Area or or people are in town to see me, then we'll go out. And most of the time, I, I can control it, right? And other times, I just get carried away and end up blacking out. And it's, it's tough. It's uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but it's, it's real. That's real, okay? And so I'm telling her this. And I also told her the story about uh, the Kentucky Derby 2 story, okay? Which is a classic. And if you haven't heard that one, um, it, it's just, uh, basically, basically, uh, all my friends, I had, I had flown home from the Bay area, uh, where I was living at the time. I'm really excited to see all of my friends. Everybody's in town. This is 2017. And, um, I ran a half marathon and then later that day got blackout drunk. Okay. Which was just stupid. Uh, and I, and I passed out, um, walking up the steps to go to bed. I was, my night was done, man. I was done with the night. I had gone out. 
I, I blacked out, but I was safe. I was chilling. I was going up to go to sleep. I was home and walking up the steps to get to bed. I fell forward on concrete steps in Lexington, cracked my front tooth, didn't know it until I woke up the next morning. Uh, and that was like, those two things were my, my rock bottoms, okay? Um, and so I share that with her, and then, and this was a longer trip, obviously, uh, about 27 minutes, right? And I ask her, what is your rock bottom? Like, what's the thing that made you want to get serious about your recovery? And so she told me, uh, what her rock bottom was. She was a nurse. She had gone to nursing school. She was a practicing nurse. And she ended up getting two felonies because she was forging checks to fund her addictions. She told me that she was, she was drinking and she was also addicted to painkillers. And it got to be so much that her bank account just simply couldn't keep up with her addictions. So at some point, she started forging checks. And eventually, the FBI caught on to her and so she told me that she went on the run. She, she evaded the FBI for a couple of years um, and evaded law enforcement. But at some point, she said that she just got tired of running and living with that feeling of, is today going to be the day that I get busted? And she said that she wanted to change her life. So she turned herself in. She did her time. She got out. She started working as a waitress in the bar. And she really enjoys what she's doing. And now... Here we are a year later, and she's celebrating a year of sobriety, which is a big deal, which is something that should be celebrated. Now, I know what you're thinking, okay? I know what you're thinking. And it's okay because I had this thought. Um, I thought the, the exact same thing. Why would you want to work in a bar if you're a recovering alcoholic? Like, probably not the best environment, right? And she, what she said, and it makes a lot of sense, uh, still kind of tempting, I would think, right? She said it helps her because it motivates her. The smell of the bar and seeing people that get belligerent helps her remind her of something that she never wants to go back to. And I, I applaud that. I celebrate that. Alexa, shout out to you. It's not an easy thing to do, but you're doing it and you're overcoming it, which transitions us into our next story about something that is, is truly remarkable to, to have to overcome. Um, and, I, and I can't even imagine, but my next writer um, or the next writer story is Brittany, okay? I had Brittany, she's in the car, we're just shooting the shit, and she mentioned something about things that she had overcome, and she was saying that she was very proud of where she was at, and I, I can't really remember like exactly how she worded it, uh, but I asked her, what's the hardest thing that you've ever had to overcome? homelessness. She came from a very abusive home, left at a young age, decided at some point living out on her own was better than staying there, so she took off. And she was telling me what it was like bouncing around from shelter to shelter to group homes until she got up on her feet. And I asked, what's it like waking up and not knowing where your next meal is going to come from? Or or where you're going to sleep that night. And she said it's hard. Like, that sense of safety and comfort that most of us live with, right, is gone. Most of us, even if everything went to shit in your life, most of us, hopefully most of us, are privileged enough and fortunate enough to say, 
at least I have a home to come back to, right? At least my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my family or whoever loves me. At least I have food on the table. She said, I didn't hardly have any of that. So it's this constant feeling of I've really, I really have nothing except the toothbrush and the couple pairs of clothes that I've got in this bag. And she told me that she has watched The Pursuit of Happiness so many times and it took everything in me not to break down in tears at that point because this shit is just so raw. And uh, it, was, it was just, you know, we think about a, a, a lot of what we've been talking about lately um, is privilege, uh, specifically white privilege, um, but there are other privileges that do exist, and one of those is coming back and having like four walls that are your own, and having a you know a safe, dry place to sleep at night, or not being food secure, which means that you know where your next meal is coming from. Um, that's tough, man. Um, there are certainly privileges that that we all enjoy, um, most of us, anyways. And um, it was just listening to somebody talk about not having some of those things was very raw and very, uh, very humbling, very humbling. So, uh, but, but I'm very happy to be able to say that she was telling me all this and it does have a, a happy ending because she said from what she told me, she's got a job, she's in a stable living situation and she's doing well. Um, so Brittany and certainly Alexis overcoming certain things in their life um, that's, that's what we stand for. That's what we applaud for. So awesome job. Now I want to shift gears, uh, and get a little bit lighter. Okay. Because the next couple of stories are somewhere between funny, comedic, ironic. A couple of these are pretty funny. Um, first I had Mark Krebs in the car, Kentucky fans. You might remember his name. He was a former walk-on. He was there for a year with Tubby. He was there for the Gillespie years. He was there for Coach Cal's very first year. But I bring this one up because it's a small world, right? Very small world. Uh, him and his wife get into the car. They're headed to a date night. I was taking them out. Uh, the kids were on the front porch with a babysitter. Bye, Mommy. Bye, Daddy. They're having themselves a night. They're looking fancy. And his wife says something about the UK plate that I have on my car. And I said, yeah, I went there. Um, I came in as a freshman. I transferred in from Thomas Moore. And up until this point, he's been kind of quiet, but he goes, ha! And he said, we, we went to the same path, brother. And I said, really? Did you play football at Thomas Moore? And he said, I played basketball at Thomas Moore. And then I transferred into UK. And at this point, I don't know who he is. I just know his first name is Mark, okay? And we're, we're kind of talking about what it's like going into a smaller school with big expectations. And then, you, you know, you really get humbled by what you find, right? There's this phenomenon that happens with athletes where they are the big fish in a little pond at their high school, right? And, or, or from their state, and then they go to a bigger school, they go to college or whatever, and then suddenly they're a, a pretty good-sized fish again, but the pond is much larger, and there's certainly bigger fish. And just kind of dealing with that as an athlete, that can be really tough. That can be a really tough thing. Um, but he said that his, his moment, the moment that he knew that he was, um, kind of, he, he wanted to get to UK. Okay. Was 
he is traveling with the team his freshman season, and they go to Wilmington, Ohio, and he's playing in front of his family, and he looked up in the rafters, and it said 2004 National Championships Division Three, and he says, I was like, dude, this is the pinnacle. Like, they have nobody at their games. They had just won two years prior. I said, all right, that's it. I'm going to give up basketball if I don't make it, but I'm going to try it. So he says that he writes a letter to Tubby Smith and kind of lays it all out there. Uh, Tubby's in his last year at UK at that point. And he says, listen, I'm, I'd be willing to walk on. I'll do whatever it takes. And Tubby Smith brought him on. And he said that he was there for Gillespie's two years and then Cal's first year. And he asked me, when I went there, I said, football in the fall of 2011, uh, UK in the spring of 2012, national championship year, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And then um, she says, okay, his wife is like, oh, no way. My brother, Stephen Billis, was the student body president that, that year. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing those signs around campus, right? Taking me way back. And so it was, it was a good ride. We just talked about the basketball teams. Uh, he said he was disappointed. Obviously, the 15 team didn't win at all, but uh, that 14 team was so good and you just didn't expect it. And he said, those are the dream runs, right? And he said, I remember saying stuff like midway through the SEC season and Cal is going to get ejected. And I bet he does one of those things where he plays with the team's head. He gets ejected. He lets them fight for themselves. And he did it. They came, they were down 20. They ended up still losing by like three. And his wife was like, is that his Hail Mary? And I'm like, yeah, he did that this year. And he's like, yeah, it's almost getting to the point where you know it's coming at some point. But hey, it worked in 2014. Kind of worked this year a little bit, didn't it? Um, but that one was pretty cool. It was just funny, you know, meeting somebody that had gone like literally the exact same path. I didn't go play sports at UK unless you count uh, the Johnson Field Flag football champions. All right, was well, good, baby. Play a little ball myself, you know, all right? But um, then, and I didn't know who he was, okay? But of course, right after they get out, I had some time, so I remembered the high school that he said he went to, and I looked at the roster at Cal's first year for dudes named Mark, and, and there he was. And I was like, hey, there he is, Mark Krebs. So that was kind of cool. Uh, the next one's funny because of how thick the irony was, okay? I had a blind rider, okay? And first of all, I'm not in any way making fun of anybody with, with blindness. Fun fact, I am blind myself. I bet you didn't know that. I'm blind in my left eye. And I have uh, a contact. I wear it in my right eye only. I was born with astigmatism. My grandpa has it. It runs in the family. I have never known anything different. I perceive the world totally through my right eye. That's why I stopped playing baseball. I took a pitch off of the brim of my batting helmet one time when I was a sophomore. And I was like, you know what? I, I realize now that I can't see the ball. I am going to move to track. Football. I don't know how I did it. I, I've just, I've got great hands. What can I say? I'm a hands guy, uh, precision route runner, and I've always been able to, to catch that. But baseball, that was tough. Like people would always say, you can see the seams on, on a baseball pitch and know what it is. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Seams? I, I just see a white thing moving at me and then all of a sudden it's past me, right? So that was like the moment that I was like, maybe I shouldn't be playing baseball. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm blind in my left eye, okay? So let's just, let's just clear the air there. But I pull up for a scheduled pickup, okay? And I send a text to the person I'm picking up, John. And I said, hey, got here a little early, just parked. 
and he sends me back a text that says, I'm looking for you. I don't see you. Okay. Now, the place I'm picking him up from is the American Printing House. That's what it shows up in the app. But if you Google it, you'll see that the full name of the business is American Printing House for the Blind. It's a nonprofit. Obviously, I don't know that. So I just pull up, okay, and I'm waiting a couple of minutes. I'm, 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 there's, my writer is apparently looking for me, but over um, by a door is a man who is standing there with a COVID mask over his eyes. And he's got some stuff in his hand, um, but he's just like, he's chilling, right? He's chilling. He's not moving. I'm thinking at any point, I'm going to get the person who's like walking up that's like looking in the driver's seat uh, with a phone in their hand, like, hey, you know, wave at me, get in. Like, are you Ben? So, because they said, I'm looking for you. I don't see you. Okay. So I'm, I'm like, okay, that's weird. Okay. I wonder why that guy has a mask on his face. Okay. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking for that person. Well, a couple minutes go by and I get a phone call from my writer, John. And what do you know? It's the guy who's been standing there for like four minutes, okay? And I can see him using his phone, so I know that it's him. And he says, hey, where are you? And I'm like, hey, I think I'm here having a little difficulty finding you. Um, Are you in a blue shirt wearing a mask over your eyes? No. Hard no. Like, he told me unequivocally, no, okay? Uh, He says, I've got a long cane and an umbrella under one arm. And the guy that I'm looking at has a long cane and an umbrella right under his arm, wearing a blue shirt and a mask over his eyes. And I said, yeah, and a mask on your eyes. Long pause. Do what? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. Do you need help getting in the car? And he said, yeah, I didn't hear you pull up. Your car must be quiet, okay? And, and at this point, I still don't know that he's blind. I still don't know that, but he is blind. Um, you know, I, 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 just, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't know what, where I was picking them up from. And some people, they get out of surgeries and maybe their eyes are sensitive to light. Like maybe he just got an eye exam. Like I have no clue, right? So I get out and I help him into the car and I open up the door and he takes my arm and I walk him to the car. And we start writing and we're talking and he says, oh, no way. I used to do a podcast about some tech stuff. And so we finally get to his address and I pull up to some apartment buildings and they're like multifamily apartments that look like almost the same with driveways right in between them, right? And I mean, they almost look identical, right? And he's like, pull into the driveway. So, okay, I pull into the driveway and I get out and I'm helping him out of the car and I'm helping him up to the apartment and he starts feeling out, you know, the, the, the ground and the environment with his cane and he's starting to come close to a ledge where the driveway dips down. And I'm, you know, he's holding my arm, but he's feeling his way out. And he says, no, this isn't right. These aren't my stairs. So I'm like, uh, all right, well, like this is the address, man. It says 409. And he's going, no, 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 no. These are the wrong stairs. The right ones are next to a tree. And there's some bushes next to it. <laughs> and I'm looking around like, okay, there's a tree and there's some bushes, but those weren't it. So he says, you must have pulled into the wrong driveway. So now I'm starting to get a little anxious because there's already another rider that I've accepted that's waiting on me. And listen, I'm not responsible for people once they get out of the car and 
like we've arrived at his destination. Like that's, you know, I sound like an asshole maybe, but that's not my responsibility. You know, I'm, I'm being nice, but I'm like, dude, like this is your address. Like, what do you mean? Those aren't your stairs. Right. Um, but I'm trying to help this dude out and, and be nice. Okay. Uh, be a stand up guy. So I let him take my arm again and we get back in the car and I'm trying to, de- to describe the driveway that I'm in and kind of what's in front of me. And I say, I'm looking at a door that says 409 and the, blah, and the, and the address, blah, blah, blah. And as I'm doing this, I'm, I'm explaining everything using verbal cues, okay? I'm looking at an apartment with a red door. There's a green flower pot next to it. And as I'm doing this, I realize, hey, you idiot, he's blind, okay? So he starts describing what he says are the right steps. Um, and I, so I see them, okay? And we are literally in one driveway over. So we were just on the other side. It was the right building. So I'm like, all right. So I get back, I back out on the street, drive the 300 feet to the other driveway, literally on the other side of the apartment. And I'm like, okay, I think this is it. And, and then I help him out of the car again. And we start walking up and he feels the steps and he's like, okay, these are the right steps. And at this point, I'm just relieved. Like I, I've been here for seven or eight minutes. Like I said, there's another ride that's already waiting on me. It feels way longer. I don't want this other person to cancel. And so we get up to the steps and, and I'm kind of joking around with him at this point, right? Uh, because we've been together for a while. And I'm like, you know, I just realized something. I'm describing everything to you based on like what it looked like. No shit, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. And he just starts laughing. He's like, man, no worries. Happens all the time. He got home safe. I got on to my next ride. It was fine. But this, my takeaway was that it just made me think like how instinctual it is to describe something like that. You know, when you say, where is this? Oh, it's right by the McDonald's. What are you wearing? Blue shirt with gray shorts. What kind of car do you drive? Black Equus. Like these things have no meaning and provide no context to somebody who's never seen the world. So how would they know what a McDonald's looks like or, or where that is or where streets are located? Like the color of things becomes trivial. And this guy was literally out here like, no, that's not my bush. Those aren't my steps, right? And as I'm driving away, I just start laughing at the situation because the irony dawns on me as I'm thinking back to how this all started when I pull up and the guy that says, I'm looking for you, I don't see you, is blind. <laughs> if that's not ironic, I don't know what is, all right? I don't know what is. Uh, here's another pretty funny one, okay? I was somewhere downtown over in like the Shawnee, Iroquois area, and this is, uh, this is before I left for uh, Sedona, so this is about mm, somewhere in the last two weeks, right? since our last Uber stories and to now. And I'm down the street from where I'm supposed to be picking up this woman. Like I'm about, you know, a a block, like 0.1, 0.2 miles, maybe, but 0.1, really. I mean, it was a walk down the street, okay? But I can't get to her pickup location because there is a line of cars that is turning onto her street and in the intersection and there's a huge procession of cars with people hanging out the windows. There's people dancing on top of cars in the street. Like, I'm, I'm, I swear to God. And uh, I, it's not moving. Like, it's just standstill traffic. And they were like, you know, freedom riders, right? 
So I call and I said, hey, I, I'm, I cannot get up to you. I'm sorry to have to do this, but you're either going to have to walk down to me or I'm going to have to cancel because I cannot get to you guys. And I'm on the phone and I was on speakerphone. And as I'm saying this, the girl that I'm talk to, talking to is like, you know, saying, you know, there's a person in the background like, what's he saying? What's he saying? And the girl is like, mama, he said he can't get down here. And she was like, well, what? Like she was mad. Okay. And I'm like, listen, I'm really sorry, but I, there's nothing I can do. Like if you walk down the street, you'll see what I'm talking about. Like there is, I, I have nowhere to go. Okay. I can't get to you. And she's just huffing and puffing and in the background, she is not cool with it. Okay. And she's like, where is he? You know? And I'm like, listen, I'm going to stay here. And she's, and the girl that I'm talking to is like, mama, he's going to stay. Like he is being nice. And, uh, she's like, all right, we're, we're coming. We're coming. Okay. So I'm like, all right, cool. So, uh, about four minutes go by. And then I see four or five girls walking down two adults, one that I, I presume was the mom. Okay. Bit overweight, big, big scowl on her face. And she's just looking fucking pissed. And then the the rest were like younger girls and they were all carrying groceries. So this lady was mad that she had to walk down, at least I thought, and, and that they had all these groceries and, you know, I get out, I'm helping them put the groceries in the trunk. And the bigger one looks at me as she crosses my path, like death stare and gets in the car. And I'm like, look, like, the, and the girl that I was talking to on the phone, she's like greeting me and like, Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for waiting. Like, this is crazy. And I'm like, Hey, listen, I, I'm sorry. Like, I know, I know you're mad. I know she's mad. And I look at her, but I'm like, there's nothing I can do. Like you see it. It's crazy. And she goes, oh, baby. Nah, I ain't mad at you. I'm mad because this is three straight weeks. These goons been at it. Blocking shit, early curfew, shutting shit down, lighting off fireworks. I've had it, bruh. And her daughter was kind of laughing and, and, you know, kids always think it's so funny when their parents are losing their shit, right? I, I, I still think it's funny when my parents get mad, uh, <laughs> but she gets in. Okay. I got in we rode out to her spot and I just, you know, minute by minute as we're talking, like she, you know, I diffuse her and by the time we pulled up, she was cooling. Um, and because we didn't have like four or five other helpers now for the groceries, I offered to help her and, and I got out and I helped her with her groceries to the door and carrying them up there. And then somebody that she lived with came to the door. And as soon as the other person that she lives with comes to the door, right? It's another young girl. She gets out and her mom just starts going in on the people that were in the cars. Like she's like, these motherfuckers, these idiots. And the girl looked at me and kind of smiled and she was like, thank you. Like, Mal, thank you. And I just, I wave and I was like, bye ladies, have a good one. She said, all right, you too, baby. And she shuts the door and I can just hear her bitching inside. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, let's see, last one here, okay, last one. Uh, I had a guy in the car named Jim and Jim sold insurance, okay, insurance salesman. And he's an older gentleman. He's wearing a suit that has like the, you know, he's got it buttoned over, looks 90s mob style, old school looking vibe. Uh, he told me that he was kind of telling me about his life and he said, I've been married for 33 years, but I was married for 10 too long. And I said, well, what, is, what was the final straw? Like what was, um, 
you know, your breaking point basically where you knew you guys were going to get divorced. And that was like, that was it. And he said, tells me the story about a dinner that he was having with his now ex-wife. And he said that he had printed out a bunch of stuff about the place that he was showing her because he wanted to take her and his kids on vacation. And so he's showing her all this stuff that he's printed out. And instead of being excited about going on a trip, uh, she starts bitching at him about wasting paper and printer ink. And he said that she threw two dishes against the wall right by his head at the dinner table. And I said, wow, you know, excuse me for saying this, but she's either a huge bitch or an avid environmentalist for (laughs) wanting to save the trees, right? And he said, you know, when I married her, she was beautiful, 5'8", 125. Now she's closer to 210. So huge bitch is right on the money. And we, we just started laughing about that. And I told him, well, you know, good for you. You know, a lot of people, they stay in unhappy situations because they feel a sense of like wanting to see something through. But if you're unhappy, like you got to make it changes, you know, and, and that's not easy to do it. At, you know, um, he's talking about a divorce that happened like 10 years ago at that point. And so he's in the later kind of back nine of the life, right? Back nine of uh, life's back nine. So he's like, I I said, I credit you for doing that, you know, for making a change and not just kind of living with this unhappy thing. And he said, yeah. And then, you know, about 10 years ago, around the time of the divorce, I met a woman that likes her men like she likes her trucks, big and old. And (laughs) we started laughing and he said, She's 43, I'm 66. And he's just like, you know, he's just living, man. And I said, look at you, you silver fox. And I'm telling you, man, this guy is sitting in the back seat, just beaming with pride. He is so proud of himself at this point, being able to say that. I'm 66, she's 43. He leans up, okay, I'm driving, I'm driving us. He leans up, and he starts showing me pictures of her. And he's like swiping, leaning up in between the driver and the passenger seats. And he's like, stone cold body. Got a head for business and a body for sin. And, and she, has, she has obvious fake breasts. Okay, she was attractive. She obviously has fake breasts. And I ask him, did you buy those or did she come pre-assembled? And he goes, no. And he swells up and he says, I bought her those. She had A cups before she met me. And I'm telling you, man, this guy is just so proud of himself at this point. And he said he loved her both ways, before and after. Uh, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> but he was just like, he was so, he was stunned. He was stunned. I love it. Uh, but good for them. You know what? Good for them, right? Uh, you're never too old to make changes. And if you're unhappy... You got to ask yourself, what's more important, appearances or the way that you feel every day? All right, that's it for me. I've got uh, more Uber stories dropping next week, plus uh, an interview with one of my favorite people ever, William Leach. He's coming to the crib. We're going to tape an interview in which he said the topic is don't talk about it, be about it. So I look forward to that, as you should as well. Listen, if you enjoy these, please interact with them. Like them, favorite, tweet, share, subscribe, comment, rate, review. Help a brother out, all right? I appreciate it. Until next week, be well, my friends. I'm Ben Tompkins. That's Real Talk.